the 19th chapter. Beginning with verse 13. John 19 verse 13. If you have that, say praise the Lord. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and set him down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one, Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. They filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon the hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, 
besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. Lord, we stand tonight on holy grounds. We being weak and frail humanity, Lord, we ask you to forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us with your precious blood of every evil thought, every evil word, and every evil action. We ask tonight, Lord, that you would show mercy to us on behalf of your finished work. We ask for your inspiration to not only deliver your word tonight, but also to receive it. We pray that you would bless those that are here tonight in the reading and the preaching of your holy word. We ask, God, that your will would be done in and through us tonight. Let no hindrance, no obstacle stop your purpose from being fulfilled in this service. We give you all praise and glory and honor tonight for what you have done for us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. The title of the message tonight is The Drama of Redemption, The Crucifixion of Jesus. The Crucifixion of Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus has gone through the trials, the religious trials and the political trials, and now he is going to be delivered to be crucified. The Bible says that it's Pilate who delivers him uh, to be executed. It is interesting when you study the history of Pilate that you will find that Pilate was banished to Gaul by Caligula. Gaul is northwest of Italy, is beyond the Alps. While there in Gaul, Pilate became emotionally sick. He committed suicide ultimately, having lost his mind. He had more than one opportunity to repent and be forgiven of his role in the death of Jesus Christ, but he overrode every one of those opportunities. He climbed into hell. He did not drop into hell. He climbed into hell. 
If a person dies and goes to hell, they do not drop into hell. They literally climb into hell. For you to go to hell means you have to climb over the cross. You have to climb, climb over the prayer. You have to climb over the blood of Jesus. You have to climb over God. You have to climb over the church. You have to climb over everything that God has done for you to go to hell. It is really not an easy thing for anybody to die and go to hell. They literally have to climb over many obstacles and remove many hindrances that God places in their life in order to go to hell. You don't just die and accidentally go to hell. You fight to go there. So Pilate had many opportunities to be forgiven of his sin. He climbed all over those opportunities. And eventually, as I said, banished by Caligula to Gaul, lost his mind, went insane, emotionally sick, committed suicide. There's no reason to believe that he went anywhere but hell, and there he is tonight. The Bible tells us that Pilate himself recognized that Jesus was not guilty. And if you go through the Gospel writers, you will find that no less than seven times out of different people's mouths, every one of them stated that Jesus was without fault or was without sin or was without sin. Uh, was righteous or a just man seven times it was said that he was not guilty. The number of completion. Pilate knew the truth about Jesus. He knew that he was not guilty, but because of peer pressure, he went with the crowd and he ended up lost. It's a very serious thing. For any of us to go with the crowd. The last group of people you want to be a part of is the crowd. Pilate went with the crowd, climbed his way straight into hell. The Bible tells us simply this. It's the sixth hour. It's... Bible says the timing, verse 13, let me make sure, uh, 14, the sixth hour during the preparation of the Passover, that he said, behold your king, and then shortly after that he's going to be crucified. Now, this is interesting because the sixth hour can be from Roman time which is 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. If it's the sixth hour of Roman time, it's 6 a.m. If it's the sixth hour of Jewish time, it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon. You with me so far? Okay. We touched that just a little bit uh, last Wednesday. The Bible tells us in verse 16, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. Notice that. They don't get into the details of as to what Jesus went through, what crucifixion was like. 
John just goes straight to the point and they tell us that Jesus was led away to be crucified. For you to understand and for me to understand what he went through on the cross, we have to go and study outside of the cross because the, the Bible does not tell us in the New Testament Gospels what he went through. Now the Old Testament prophecies tell us what he went through physically and spiritually, but the Gospels just simply state real quickly that they led him out to be crucified. Now, the scripture tells us, if you'll look at it, verse 16, then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with them on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. Crucifixion. Started by the Persians. Babylonians crucified a few people, but the Persians were really the ones that were credited for the most horrible type of death that a person could experience. It started with the Persians. It was perfected by the Romans. It was a Roman's form of capital punishment. The Jewish capital punishment was stoning, beheading, hanging by the noose, or burning. So, that's according to Edersheim, and so it is the punishment of the Romans, crucifixion, and it is the most painful and the slowest process of death that has ever been experienced by a man. There is no more painful, slower death than the cross, crucifixion. Sometimes men live 14 to 21 days hanging on the cross. In fact, most of the time, the reason why somebody would not last 14 to 21 days is because where they were crucified, birds of the air would fly down and begin to eat their flesh while they hung upon the cross. And first thing they would go for would be the eyes of the person. And then wild animals around the cross of the crucified would literally eat the flesh of the first of the person hanging on the cross because it is not as the bite or as the movies show you, Jesus hanging way up here. Okay? He would have been close enough for animals to reach him and for birds to eat him if he hadn't lasted that long. So crucifixion was a very, very cruel, cruel kind of death. Long, slow, and extremely painful. The Bible says they... <clears throat> led him out to a place called Golgotha. When he left Pilate's judgment hall, there would have been seven soldiers that would have gone in front of him or escorted him as he carried uh, his cross. One of those soldiers would have been carrying a placard or a board with a title of the reason why he was condemned. So a total of eight soldiers. 
Jesus would not have carried his whole cross. The way that you see it in the movies or you see it on paintings is not accurate. They did not carry the whole cross. The vertical pole of the cross was already in its location. Okay? What he would have carried would have been uh, the patibulum, which was the crossbar of the cross. And that weighed approximately a 70 to 100 pounds. They would have chained his hands to the patibulum. And uh, this very heavy, heavy crossbar uh, would have to be carried by the victim to the location of the crucifixion. As I said, the vertical pole would have already been there. And so when Jesus is led out, he is carrying that patibulum, that cross member of that bar on the cross. Two types of crosses. The tau cross. The tau cross looks like this. Romans crucified their victims on either the tau cross or the Latin cross, which had the vertical pole sticking above the horizontal pole called the patibulum. I believe, according to the text, that Jesus was crucified on the Latin cross because his placard was placed above his head, I believe, on the vertical cross. I'll just give you some technical information here. As to the location, it was Gehenna. In the Bible, it says they took him to the Hebrew word Golgotha. The Latin word is Calvary. Golgotha means the place of the skull. It means the place of burnt bones. It means the place of death. Calvary, the Latin term, also means the place of burnt bones, the place of death, or the place of the skull. But neither Golgotha, Golgotha or Calvary was the name of the place. The name of the place was Gehenna. And Gehenna literally means the same thing. It means the place of burnt bones, the place of death, and the place of the skull. It was located in the valley of Kinnam. Gehenna became the place, or the garbage dumped outside of Jerusalem became the place that described hell. So that the proper name to where Jesus was crucified or taken and crucified was literally Gehenna, or the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem that was a picture of what hell was like. Golgotha and Calvary were only descriptive adjectives of Gehenna, the proper name of that place. So literally when they took Jesus out there, they took him to the place of the garbage dump. They took him to the valley of Kinnam, which was a type of hell. Amen. Are y'all with me? And I know you probably never have heard this, but this is reality. This is the truth. Now, Golgotha and Calvary later became known as the proper names of the place. But at the time Jesus was crucified, it was literally the location was Gehenna or hell. 
You understand? I'm telling you. When they got there, as I said, those vertical poles were already in place. They had chiseled out holes in the rock, foundation there. They dropped these vertical poles into the ground. Uh, and by the way, it wasn't just two people that she was crucified with Jesus that day. We know at least four. We know there were two thieves and we know there were two malefactors. A total of four that were crucified with Jesus that day. And historically, they never crucified less than 25. So when Jesus was going to be crucified, we know at least four other people were crucified with him that day. Historically, 25 a minimum and up to 50 people could be crucified in one time because the Romans always executed people one, once, twice, or three times a year maximum. Okay, you with me so far? I'm giving you history here. I'm not, I'm, this isn't in the Bible. I'm giving you history. So they would take Jesus with the rest of them and they would crucify him. And as soon as they got Jesus over there, I'm going to give you a little bit of facts about crucifixion. They allowed him to carry that particulum. The Bible says he stumbled, he fell. That means many things, okay? Some believe he fell down some stairs. Some believe that he fell to the ground. Some believe the word means simply to stumble. But when he stumbled, there was a man by the name of Simon Cyrene who was compelled to carry the cross of Jesus. That doesn't mean that Jesus no longer was carrying the cross. It was against the law for somebody else to carry the cross of a condemned man. So when Simon the Cyrene was picked to carry the cross of Jesus, that means he aided Jesus in carrying the cross. Jesus wasn't just walking beside Simon of Cyrene, the Golgotha. Okay, see a lot of us today, we get our theology from the movies. We get our theology from the pictures we see in books. Um, in fact, we even sing, you know, on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it was on a hill. We call it Mount Calvary. The Bible no, in no place ever calls it Mount Calvary. It was a ravine. Okay, you with me now? It was in the valley of Gehenna. I'm just telling you the church has got its theology from movies and pictures and, and all kinds of things. It's not in the Bible. So Jesus he made his way to Golgotha, Simon and Cyrene, helping him along the way. He's from Africa. He's probably a black man. He helped Jesus carry his cross to Golgotha. When they got Jesus there, uh, the Bible tells us he was clothed which is also unique because normally the executed would carry their crosses down the road naked. Evidently because out of respect for him being a religious leader, they allowed him to wear his garments. They had stripped him. They ripped, you know, the purple garments that they mocked him in, ripped those off of his scourged body and put his clothes back on him. Uh, his original clothes that he was in when he was found in the Garden of Gethsemane. He put those, they put those clothes back on him. 
and he was allowed to go up to uh, Golgotha or Gehenna when he got there. They would have tore his clothes off of his body. He was crucified completely naked. There was no loincloth cloth upon his body. That's something you get in the movies. Completely stripped naked and open shame for everybody to look at. They took him and they threw him with force down onto the patibulum and nailed the wrist of his hands, which you could call his hands, to that patibulum. And they lifted him up and put him on that vertical pole there that was already in the earth. Then they would take a round stake and they would drive it through the flesh of his buttocks just below his hip bone. They did this to all crucified men to give them something to set upon while they were on the cross. It was very painful. His body would have been, would have been contorted, possibly in a 90 degree angle. It was, it was a very uncomfortable situation and every time he would sit down that stake would rub up against his uh, thigh bone. They took his feet they laid one foot over the other, the top of the other, with his toes pointing to the ground. Drove, not from the bottom, but from the top. A nail through both of his feet. All of your nerves in your body are that are connected to your vital internal organs all of your nerves go to the bottom of your foot. They all converge there. So that when they drove the nail through the top of the foot into the cross, they literally severed the nerves running from the vital organs, internal organs, severed those, those nerves in his feet so that every symptom and every pain that your vital organ can experience, every symptom of disease, every pain that your vital organ can experience, when they severed, frayed his nerves in his foot, every organ in his body had the symptom of any and every kind of disease possible and known to man. So that when those nerves were severed, instant dysfunction hit every vital organ so that he would have experienced the symptom and the pain of, for example, brain cancer. It doesn't mean he had brain cancer, but because the severing of the nerves took place, he experienced the symptom and the pain of brain cancer. Or the symptom 
and the pain of a heart attack. The symptom or the pain of gallbladder problems. The symptom or the pain of migraine headaches. On and on it goes. Every disease that is known to man, the pain, the dysfunction, the symptom of all of those diseases would have hit Jesus instantly as soon as they drove the stake through the top of his foot, severing those nerves that went to the vital organs so that instantly he went into catastrophic pain. In order to not suffocate, they would pull themselves up with their hands and lift themselves up with their feet. And when they did, the median nerves that are in the hands send sharp, excruciating pain to the fingers up through the arm and explode into the brain. His body would go into cramping and convulsing. His body would begin to lose tremendous amounts of fluids. His body would go into shock. And all of that that I have just shared with you, the outward experience of Jesus in crucifixion, the pain that he would have gone through, all of that happened after he was beaten mercilessly by the scourge. So that you could not even recognize him as a human being. So the crucifixion and all of that that he went through happened after his scourging. But everything that Jesus went through on the outside was not the most severe pain. The most severe pain that Jesus went through for us on Calvary, on the cross, was spiritually and on the inside. What it took for him to pay the price for you're in my sin. The hell he went through on the inside, the spiritual pain he went through on the inside is beyond your or my comprehension. It was greater suffering than anything outwardly that he would have experienced in order to purchase you by his blood. So the Bible tells us, verse 19, as he is going to go to that place called Gehenna, the place of the skull, Pilate writes a title, Latin, Latin titleus. Pilate himself does. It's the only gospel writer that tells us that Pilate wrote the superscription. Scripture tells us Pilate himself wrote the title and he put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. 
See, he knew he was the king. Pilate knew the truth. He wrote it down. He professed that Jesus was the king of the Jews. You can say he made a, a confession that Jesus was the Lord. But he never acted on it. It is, of course, error for anybody to tell you all you have to do is confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and you're going to heaven. Because the Bible says that Pilate not only confessed it, he wrote it down. But because he did not act on it, he perished. See, you and I can talk about Jesus being the King and we can talk about Jesus being the Lord. But if you don't act on it, you will perish. See, Pilate knew the truth. He just didn't act on it. He wrote that himself. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. From right to left. When you read it, it would have read the first letter of each one of those words would have been yod Hey vav Hey. So that when the Hebrews looked back and they saw the first letter of each of those words, Pilate had written, he's Yahweh. No wonder they got so furious about what Pilate had said. And they saw yod heh vav their only one true God, written above his head. And of course, you know, John wrote the gospel to present Jesus in his deity. Do you understand that? Over 28 prophecies, or 28 prophecies will be fulfilled in his crucifixion, showing you that he's in, God is in absolute control with everything that is happening here. And they looked up and they saw Jesus hanging on the cross. They saw Yahweh in flesh. So the Bible says this placard, this title, and that, that Roman soldier would have walked before the condemned, telling them what, what he was accused of. is simply Jesus, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That was his crime. Pilate really doing this in mockery to the Jews. Because they had pressured him and they had blackmailed him into crucifying Jesus. And so now he's going to mock the Jews that he hates and declare that Jesus is the king of the Jews. They had already said, we have no king but Caesar. They had bowed their head to a person they could not stand, to a person they hated because they hated Jesus more. They lied on him, they falsely accused him, and they are now illegally crucifying him. Willing to bow their necks to Caesar, who called himself God. They lied when they said, we have no king but Caesar. They lied when they said that. And so Pilate, he writes this title, superscription, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This title was read many, then read many of the Jews 
for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. The language of prayer, Hebrew. The language of Greek. The language of the common person. And the language of commerce and economics. And also written in Latin, the legal language of the world. The language of law. The most powerful languages in the world. Hebrew, religion. Greek, economics. Romans, political language of law. The most powerful languages in the world. So that everybody, when they read it, the whole world would understand what was being said. So that in his death, God had set the whole thing up. That while he was hanging on that cross, he must be recognized as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one who was mocked and rejected of men. Separated from man. Disciplined by God and disciplined by man. Is seen as the king of the Jews. Which he was. The Bible tells us when they saw it. Verse 21. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate. Write not the king of the Jews. But that he said I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered. What I have written. I have written. And he refused to change the superscription or the title or the wording. He said, what I've written, I've written. He didn't care what the Jews think. He's not trying to please the Jews. God made sure that he did not change what he had written. Verse 23 then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. The Bible tells us they took his garments and they parted them among themselves, parted them into four parts. Interesting. That the executors of Jesus would take his garments. This was their inheritance as executors. They had the rights to the clothing of the person that would die. They took that as a part of money. Okay. So the executors there, the soldiers are there. They part some of his garments. One part goes to one soldier, etc., all the way through four of them. And then the Bible tells us they come to this one garment that is woven. It's seamless. So like a poncho, you put on the top, you pull it over the top of your head like this. It was seamless. This was his prayer shawl. And the Bible says in order not to rend that garment, they cast lots on his vesture to determine who would be the one that would carry the prayer shawl or that cloak of Jesus along with the other parts that he had inherited. I wonder what he did with it. I don't know if we ever think about this, but I wonder what they did with the garments that they took. I wonder what that soldier did with his sandals. He got his sandals. 
wonder what that soldier did with the other parts of the garments, the prayer shawl. What he wonder what he did with it. Uh, you know, there are some people who are really caught up in relics. They think there's power in relics. You get a piece of the cross. There have been enough splinters from the cross sold through history to build ten churches. They claim this splinter came from the cross and people will buy those splinters or, you know, this garment is the one that Jesus wore before His crucifixion. Are y'all here tonight? Let me just tell you that you could put His sandals on your feet. What, it would, what would it be like if you wore the garments of the crucified Jesus? If you were the one that took His garments and, and put them on and wore them, what would it be like? If you put His sandals on your feet, would that make you walk the way you're supposed to walk? Or what if you put on one of his cloaks or his garments? Would that clothe you in righteousness? No. You could put on the sandals of Jesus and still die and go to hell. You could put on his robes, his physical robes, and not have the robe of salvation on you. You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost and it's the blood that cleanses you. It's not his physical clothes. It's not the splinters off the cross that save you. It's no relics. There is no value in those relics. The value is in His shed blood. It takes His blood to redeem you. It takes His Spirit inside of you to regenerate you. You could have all of His garments like these soldiers had and wear the garments of the crucified Christ and still die and go to hell. They said, therefore, among themselves in verse 24, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Fulfillment of scripture. God was in control of everything that was happening that day. He was in control of the time of his death, the place of his death, the way that he would die. He was in control of everything. Pilate was the victim. Jesus was the victor. Pilate was really on trial before Jesus. The scriptures are being fulfilled. Psalm 22 and verse 18, the Bible says, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That prophecy was written a thousand years or so before it ever happened. 
Bible says is a fulfillment of the Scripture. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. And then we will see in a minute that John was there. Four women, one man. Before us men, we men, whatever the proper language is, think that we're big shots. We, we need to look at this passage and understand that there were four women there and one man. One disciple. Four committed followers of Jesus. These women ministered to that tabernacle Jesus. Just like the women of that old tabernacle in the Old Testament ministered to that tabernacle and sold the bales, etc. and put the cherubim on there. Those women ministered to that tabernacle in the Old Testament and the women that followed Jesus were not just women that followed Jesus. The women that followed Jesus were ministers to Him. They were like deaconesses. They ministered to Jesus, that tabernacle, when they followed Him. Are y'all with me today? And here they are. We've got Mary, the mother of Jesus. We've got Mary's Not her half-sister, but Mary's uh, sister-in-law is there. The wife of Cleophas is there, and Mary Magdalene is there. Four women. Committed to the Lord to the very end. And that's the way it is. You're going to see it most of the time in the church that we men can only wish to have the kind of walk with God that the women do. I do understand that headship resides with the man, but the commitment and the love and the devotion of a woman of God, the Jesus Christ, you can only wish that you were that good. I'm preaching to women in this house right now that love Jesus and are so committed to Him it puts all us men to shame. We start walking around acting like we're a big shot, you know. You need to look at your wife and say, I wish I could only be as good as her. There would not be a church. There wouldn't be a Pentecostal church if it wasn't for women. There wouldn't be a church in Odessa, Texas if it wasn't for women. You understand what I'm telling you? The first woman that was one in Europe, the first convert in Europe was a woman, Lydia. Europe was reached because there was a woman there who was a prayer warrior. And hence, that's where you got your opportunity. But these women, four of them, as the Bible says, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. Um, her sister-in-law is there, which would have been uh, Joseph's sister, 
the wife of Cleophas, the one that was walking the road to Emmaus. You think there were two men walking with Jesus on the road of Emmaus, but Cleophas and his wife was walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. The wife of Cleophas was there, Mary Magdalene, in whom seven devils were cast out of her. There they are, these four women near the cross and with John. Mary Magdalene, can you imagine having seven demonic spirits in you? She had one for each eye. She had one for each leg. How many is that? Four? She had one for each hand. That's six. And she had one for her mouth. So that the devil did everything she saw, the devil looked through her eyes. Everything she did, the devil was in it. Everywhere she went, the devil was in it. All that she did, everywhere she went, everything she saw, the devil was in it. Until Jesus, the Bible says, cast out the seven spirits, seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. And there she is with the other three women at the cross with John. The Bible tells us in other gospel writers that at some point they are at a distance. But in John we see them near the cross. Evidently they moved from the cross after a period of time for safety reasons. The Bible says... I'll read it to you again, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing, by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Can you imagine that? Everything he's going through right now to redeem mankind from sin, all the pain he's going through, in his physical body, in his spirit, everything he's going through, he still has time to notice his mother down there at the foot of the cross. But I want you to notice something. He doesn't call her mother. In fact, in no place in the Bible does Jesus ever call Mary mother. You ever wonder why? Well, there would be a church system later on in history that would call Mary the mother of God. And Jesus never one time called her mother. When he addressed her, he addressed her as woman, which was a very high, high name. Isha. Isha, woman. Eve means the mother of all living. When he addressed Mary, he called her Isha, my lady, woman. The highest honor he could give her. And he said that. He never called her mother because he knew that they would take that and they would pervert that in the future into Maryolatry. They would worship Mary and pray to Mary. He never called her mother. She wasn't the mother of God. She was the mother of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And in the upper room, you see Mary praying with the saints, not the saints praying to Mary. And here in this passage, you see Jesus telling her what to do. Not her telling him what to do. There are some who say, 
Mary is the you know co-redemptress, and she's involved in redemption. And if you want to get the son's attention, you've got to pray to Mary. Jesus doesn't do what Mary says. Mary does what Jesus says. And when she was with the disciples in the upper room of the day of Pentecost, she prayed. They didn't pray to her. She prayed, and she got filled with the Holy Ghost just like they did. She needed salvation just like the rest. And so Jesus, when he addresses her, he tells her what to do. Of course, he's compassionate because it's his mother, of course, in the flesh. He has provided for her through the years, and now he's fixing to die. He makes sure that she's taken care of. And so the Bible tells us here in verse 26, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple, and that disciple is John, standing by whom he loved, that's the beloved disciple, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then he's speaking to the disciple. And the Bible says, Behold thy mother. You see it? What is he doing? He's letting everybody for all time know that he is Mary's God and that he is Mary's Lord. And that he is Mary's sister, uh, savior. And so watch this. He is distancing himself from addressing her as mother. He has to. Are y'all here tonight? In order for Mary to be saved. You hear what I'm saying to you tonight? That relationship of mother and son has to be severed. And that's what he's doing here. He says to his mother, woman, behold thy son. He's talking about John. And to John, behold thy mother. He doesn't say behold my mother, behold thy mother. And the Bible says John took her from that day. And she dwelt with him. And we don't know what ultimately happened. If he stayed in Jerusalem, some have speculated he lived there eight years until Mary died in her 50s. Others believe that John took her to Ephesus where he pastored. And she was a powerful woman of God in the church there. It's all speculation. But we do know that he fulfilled this role in taking care of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She became his mother and John became her son. And Jesus, in the moments of his pain and agony and suffering, takes enough time and shows compassion to the woman whose womb was his cradle and who at Pentecost her heart will become his throne. He took time to make sure that his mother was taken care of. The Bible says that prophetically a sword would pierce her heart. And when she's looking up there, and I've got to be careful because I'm not after a lot of them, I'm not after emotion tonight. I'm, 
I'm not going to say this because I want you to break down and cry. But you need to remember that that was, from her perspective, the little boy that she had kissed his brow. And the little boy who had fallen down when he was growing up, she took him in her arms and, and took care of his wounds and wiped the tears out of his face. This was, as a baby, her little baby, the one she had changed diapers on, leaning next to her. From her perspective, that was her son. And Jesus has got to sever that identity with his mother and turn it over to another disciple. And the disciple becomes a son and, and Mary becomes the mother of this one in order that Mary can be saved. Are y'all here? Mary Olatry is alive to pray to Mary to believe she's a co-redemptress is idolatry. And on the cross, Jesus is taking steps to make sure that you and I never do that. They did it anyway. One of the sayings of Jesus from the cross. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. John only mentions three of his sayings from the cross. The other gospel writers record other sayings from the cross. None of them record all seven. The Bible tells us the first saying of Jesus from the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second saying of Jesus from the cross was concerning the one that was crucified next to him. Today you shall be with me in paradise. The third saying is here. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. The fourth took place at the ninth hour right before he died when he cried out in a time of darkness. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because the judgment of God is coming upon him in full wrath. The fourth saying of Jesus, the fifth saying of Jesus is found in the Gospel of John. I thirst. The sixth saying of Jesus from the cross. It is finished. It's complete. The telestai is complete. It's the shout of a victorious general in battle. It's a declaration of victory. It is Finished to Telestai. He's letting everybody know that he's completed the work of redemption. He's letting everybody know it's finished. The finished work has defeated Satan. It's finished the Old Testament types and shadows and sacrifice. It is the fulfillment of prophecy. There's nothing else you can add to the work of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. You can't add to the salvation that he provides. It is finished. That was the sixth hand of Jesus from the cross and the seventh hand of Jesus from the cross. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And when he makes that seventh statement, the Bible says, he bows his head in rest. He pillows his head in rest. And 
the Bible says. He dismisses his spirit. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It was a strong statement. Nobody took his life. The Romans that nailed his hands were just the instruments. They were just the instruments, but they did not take his life. He laid down his life. Into thy hands I commend my spirit was a very strong statement. The seventh saying of Jesus. And he bows his head, pillows his head, and dies. We talked about the way they murdered him last. Whether we murdered him or really, in a sense they did, but in a sense they didn't. Because nobody took his life. He laid down his life. He was in charge of the time he died. He was in charge of the way he died. He was in charge of the place he died. They didn't kill him. He dismissed his spirit. So this third saying of Jesus from the cross, woman, behold thy son. To the disciple, behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. The fifth saying from the cross that I mentioned to you. He said, I thirst. And at that moment, one of the Roman soldiers, misunderstanding what he's saying, goes and gets some hyssop and dips that hyssop in vinegar and lifts it to him because he thinks he's thirsting physically, and he was. But it was much more than just physical thirst. At that moment, Jesus, with this fifth cry from the cross, he's suffering the pains of hell. The Bible tells in Luke chapter 16, the rich man died, and being in hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham of Lazarus afar off in Abraham's bosom. And he prayed, Father Abraham, if it be possible, let Lazarus go and dip his finger, the tip of his finger in water and, and come and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. So that when Jesus said, I thirst on the cross, it wasn't just physical thirst from his bodily fluids leaving his physical body. He was literally going through the pains of hell at that moment. He was thirsting spiritually as well as physically on the cross, just like the rich man in hell was thirsting. As I was preparing, I thought about that old scapegoat in the Old Testament, led by the footman into no man's land. The footman, a very strong man, one goat was killed, for the sins of the nation on the Day of Atonement. And another goat was led out of the camp of Israel. The picture of one goat dying for sin, the other goat carrying the sins of the people away. That scapegoat that was a type of the carrying of the sins of the way of the nation 
was led by the fit man, very strong man. And as he walked out of the camp with that scapegoat, bearing or carrying away the sins of the people of the nation of Israel on the Day of Atonement, he'd go by one station and a priest at a tabernacle would throw up a red flag. And the people in the camp of Israel would begin to shout and rejoice because the sins were at had made it to that station and he kept leading them out until he came to another station. The priest threw a flag up and the people would shout and praise God because the sins were being taken out of them. And on and on through the process, this fit man led this scapegoat to no man's land. Some tradition says, some historical writing, the Jews said they, that he, they cast these scapegoats off a cliff. I read in one writing years ago, historical writing says that there was a ribbon on the horn of that scapegoat. And that ribbon was red. And when that fit man brought that goat to the last place out there in the wilderness in no man's land, 40 years, are y'all hearing me now? Forty years before the destruction of the temple. That's 30 A.D. Approximately 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the Jewish writers say that miracle stopped. The turning of that red ribbon, white, stopped in 30 A.D. Or thereabouts. Give you a general time frame here. It just happens to be the approximate time of Jesus' death that the miracle of that ribbon turning, you know, y'all hear? From red to white stopped because he's the fulfillment of the goat that died on the Day of Atonement. He's the fulfillment of the scapegoat that was led out in that wilderness. And as that goat's going out in the wilderness being led by the fit man, his tongue is hanging out inside of his mouth for thirst. The red tongue of the scapegoat. Jesus, through all the trials, through the, through the Garden of Gethsemane, through all the trials, being led to the cross, and everything He's going through on the cross, He's being led by the fit man, the Holy Ghost of God, the Spirit of God. And so when He's thirsting there on the cross, He's experienced the pains of hell. Are y'all here today? Like the scapegoat, that old red-tongued goat. He's experienced that in the spirit. Azazel was what the name of the scapegoat was. And they believed that that goat was given to the devil. But I'm going to here to tell you tonight that God didn't pay the devil for sin. Christ for sin was paid to God. So Jesus being led by the fit man, he's leading the sins of the people. He's to carry him away. He will do that at his ascension. He'll carry them away. Everything that's happening here, he's in control.
Verse 28 again, he says, After this Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon the hyssop and put it to his mouth. They got a little bitty shrub plant off the ground. Turned it into a sponge on it, made it a sponge, put, dipped it into vinegar and lifted it up to the highest tree, spiritually speaking. The lowest to the highest. The highest reaching down to the lowest. Letting you know everything that's happening here has happened for a reason. That Jesus didn't die just for the up and out. Jesus died for the down and out. So that the lowest shrub of the earth was lifted up to the one that was hanging on the cross. And the Bible says he received it. Wow. There's no contradiction in the Bible. The Scripture tells us when they first got into Calvary, they offered Him vinegar mixed with gall. They offered Him a narcotic to deaden the pain. When He first got there, and the Bible says He refused it. He refused to let any of His senses be deadened. He refused to the narcotic, he refused the possibility of not being aware and alert as to what was happening. He had to be completely alert and in control of everything that was happening there. He could not experience narcotics. He could not experience the painkillers. He must be totally alert. So he refused the first offer, the dinner girl and gall, the narcotic that deadened the pain. Another time, they also offered him vinegar again in mockery. And the third time they offer him this vinegar, he receives it because he's within minutes of dying. And it's not going to affect or change anything. So that's why the Bible says here, that he received it. Verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Now, sometimes when I'm preaching this, I get a little bit, you know, honestly, I don't always get everything just exactly right, but it is finished. He would have lifted his head up in victory. He, it would have sounded like a Roman general who had just come off the battlefield having won a great victory. And he would stand on the mountains to tell us die. It is finished. It's complete. The battle has been won. You could have heard him shout, To tell us die. It is finished. Through the hills of Judea. There was a shout of a triumphant, victorious general. It wasn't the cry and whimpering of a defeated man. Jesus is in control of everything that is happening here. So that sixth statement is the pronunciation of victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the devil. The battle's been won. Your sins have been redeemed by His blood. No more need for sacrifice. Amen. 
He is not defeated. He's the victor, not the victim. The Bible doesn't record the last saying of Jesus where he says, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's David had prayed that prayer. In his life. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. What is Psalm 22? Look at the prophecy. Beginning verse 16. The dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword. My darling from the foul of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth that thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Will I praise thee? That takes you all the way into resurrection. It is finished. That's why we call it the finished work of the cross. That's why when we preach it and you'll hear us preach it over and over again about the finished work of Calvary and the finished work of Jesus, we'll use that term because it's what he said. It is complete. You can't add to salvation. There's no sacrifice you can bring. Are y'all here tonight? That will save you. He's victorious. He was cast out of the city. Rejected of men. Rejected of God. A curse. An outcast. In order for you to be saved and redeemed. He went through hell. So you and I wouldn't have to. The price he paid for our redemption. I put my hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The Bible says when he said that sixth statement, it is finished, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He dismissed his spirit. I told you earlier that many times they would be 14 to 21 days on that cross. He's only been on it six or three, depending on the time. I talked about that last week. And he's already dead. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. In contrast to everybody else that dies. Everybody else, when they die, they go... They die and lay their head over. 
And in that culture, especially if you're hanging from a cross, you lift up your head like this and you curse and you swear and then you die. Not Jesus. He didn't lift his head up, gasp for breath, and then die. The Bible says he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He died like nobody else ever died. He pillowed his head, bowed his head, and then he gave up the ghost. The Bible tells us then Jesus, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. It's interesting, the religious people says we need to uh, break the bones of those hanging on the cross because we can't carry this over into the Passover. This is a high day. It's a Sabbath. Now, I've already preached to you before the Gospel of Mark and others that Jesus was crucified on Wednesday, not Friday. The high day, the Sabbath here is not talking about Saturday. It's the Sabbath of the Passover. Are y'all here? Praise the Lord. The Jews didn't want to violate the Sabbath of the Passover by having them hanging on the cross. So they went to Pilate and they asked Pilate if he could break the legs that they might be taken away. Isn't that sad that on one side they were religious so religious they didn't want to violate the Passover. But on the other hand, they're killing the Passover lamb. What hypocrisy. There are people who have conviction from sin. They sin, they run from their guilt. Some people have conviction in sin and remain in sin even though they know what they're doing is wrong. That was Pilate. Pilate had conviction in sin. He knew the truth, but he still committed it. There are some people just like that. They have conviction in their sin. They know what they're doing is wrong, but they still do it. Some have a conviction from sin. They sin, and what they do is they just get away from the sin. Are y'all here with me? And the way these people got away from their sin was trying to be righteous and holy and talk holy and trying to fulfill the Passover. Trying to get away, escape their guilt by being religious. A lot of people that are like that. They ask that the legs would be broken. That they might be taken away. Verse 32. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they broke not his legs. Soldiers walked up, those hanging on the cross, took that big old mallet, and they hit those legs, not just one time to break it one time, but the word means they, they splintered the bones. You can imagine the excruciating pain 
when the soldiers went up with that mallet and hit the bones, not just one time, but multiple times, and shattering the bones in those legs. They came to Jesus. The Bible says he was dead already. The centurion that was responsible for the crucifixion was no novice. He said Jesus was dead already. You understand what I'm telling you? He didn't just pass out. He didn't just swoon, pass out, and then they take a man who's passed out and put him in a grave. That's what the heretics said. They didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus or the death of Jesus. They said he just passed out on the cross and they took him and put him in that cool grave and he woke up and he really didn't rise from the dead because he never died. But a trained soldier who was in charge of the crucifixion with trained eyes, said he died. God said he died. The angels said he died. Jesus said he died. He said, I was alive, I was dead, and I'm alive. Book of Revelation. He was dead. So when they came to Jesus, instead of breaking his bones to cause his death. This is also a fulfillment of prophecy. Um, Psalm 34. Verse 20. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. God is in control. Not one of them was broken. In perfect fulfillment of the type as well in the book of Exodus chapter 12, the Bible will tell us during the time of the killing of the Passover lamb, God said that not one bone of the Passover lamb was to be broken. He fulfilled the type perfectly. Not one bone in his body was broken through everything he went through in fulfillment of the scriptures prophetically and typically. He's an awesome God. One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. Who told him to do that? Pilate didn't tell him to take his lance and pierce the side of Jesus. That order didn't come from Pilate. It didn't come from Tiberius Caesar. What is this soldier doing? He just inadvertently in his cruelty reaches up and just pierces the side of Jesus with no command other than God. To him, it was just cruelty. To him, it was just venting his anger to pierce the side of Jesus. When he did it, he didn't know he was fulfilling prophecy. Bible says, but when but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forward came there out blood and water. Another proof that Jesus was already dead. Because today, if I take a sword or a, a, a spear and I pierce Bloss's side, 
blood and pure blood. I'm listening to Blood and pure blood is going to flow out of every one of you. It won't be mixed with water. It'll be blood, pure blood, that flows out of every one of you if you're alive. And the Bible says when this soldier pierced the side of Jesus, for with came water and blood. Jesus didn't die of asphyxiation. Jesus dismissed his own spirit. And the Bible says, water and blood flowed from his side. He died of a broken heart. His heart ruptured. Water mingled with blood and flowed through his side. You say, Pastor, I want you to give me Bible for a broken heart. Look in the Psalms. Psalm 69 and verse 20. The psalmist says, Reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness, and I look for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus in dismissing his spirit physical condition of his death with a broken heart. What he went through for you and I, everything he went through spiritually and physically was more than a human body can take. And he died with a broken heart. Remember the story that I heard about a missionary went to Thailand, Billy Cole. His wife, Billy Cole, prayed hours upon hours for the souls of that mission field. She prayed so much and so hard that she was at the verge of death. They rushed her to the hospital and the diagnosis was she's dying of a broken heart. Dixie told me Brother Freddie Clark had prophesied that Tom Barnes would live to a certain age. Tom Barnes was a prophet. One God, Jesus' name, apostolic prophet. You can go on the internet if you have internet. You can uh, look at 
past messages he's preached, if you so choose to do. Brother Tom Barnes, one of the greatest prophets that Pentecost has ever seen. Brother Clark said he would reach a certain age. I don't remember what the year was. Tom Barnes didn't reach that age, and according to Brother Dixon, he said Tom Barnes died prematurely from a broken heart. I don't know what he saw. I don't know what he experienced as a, as a man of God. But he died. Jesus died for a broken heart. His heart hurts you. And that's why no water, no blood flowing from his side. Pay price for a pearl. In the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives a parable of a pearl of great price. The pearl is not the jewelry of the Jew. The pearl is the jewelry of the Gentile. Pearl of great price. He's willing to sell everything he had for that pearl. That one pearl. A great price. The pearl is found. The bottom of the sea. A little speck of dirt gets inside of the pearl. And the pearl begins to wrap its life around that speck of dust or dirt particle. Wraps its life around it, secretes it. Till the life of that pearl is in the sand and around the sand. To harvest that pearl, you got to go into the depth of the sea. Bring it up out of the sea. Break it open the shell. And when you open that shell, the pearl comes out of the water and the blood. When Jesus died on the cross, that water and that blood flowed from his side. He saved you. You are the pearl of great price. He was willing to pay it and offer it. There was the church. So in the book of Revelation, someday by God's mercy and grace, Stand at the entrance of that great city called the New Jerusalem. The Bible says the gates are one solid pearl. Let you know the pain and the suffering that it took for you and I to enter into that city. Out of his side flowed blood and water. The pearl of great price was purchased on the cross.
the Garden of Eden. God took Adam and He put Adam to sleep. He opened up his side. And out of his side, He took a bone, a rib. The curvy part is really what the word rib means. The curvy part of Adam. He took the curve out of Adam. And he made a curvy woman. A curvy man. He brought Isha to Adam. When Adam saw her, he said, Woman, my lady, not the mother of my children, not Eve, but Isha. Woman taken out of man. Jesus' side was opened up. The new Eve came out of his side. You are the pearl of great price. You are his lady. And when he looks at you, he's Every type, every shadow, every prophecy is fulfilled. God is in complete control. He's the victor, not the victim. By His finished work on the cross, I have a hope of eternal life. that he died was the blood and the water that came from his side. Salvation. Water of baptism in his name. The blood applied in his name. And the Lord's Supper. The emblems of salvation came flowing out of his side. He gave birth to a bride. Prophet Isaiah said, He, God, shall see the travail of his soul. Travail is a word for giving birth. Isaiah, when he wrote that prophecy down, he must have scratched his head. He said, A man is going to travail. A man giving birth? Jesus gave birth to his bride when he hung on the cross. God saw the travail. Humans of salvation gathered around him.
he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that you might believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is God. That he was in control of the time, the way, and the place of his death. In so much control that as God, He said, You can die. That you might believe. And He offereth the redemption, salvation. That you might believe that He's God. Thirty-six. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. The bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, "They shall look on him whom they pierced." Who were they pierced? Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your great gifts of redemption. We declare tonight your finished work. We believe, Lord, in the salvation you have provided. And upon that finished work, Lord, we put our hopes for eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for opening the way of salvation for us. Amen and amen. In Jesus' name, we pray. And when he died, there was a mighty earthquake. It was felt all the way to China. It was felt in Rome. It was felt in Greece. It was felt in Africa. It shook the world. Three hours of darkness that fell upon the heavens. Cloaked the naked Jesus. Covered him in his shame. And if you protect him from the mockery of those people, it was cruel as hell to be. The darkness, a miracle. The earthquake, a miracle. Rending of the rocks, a miracle. The rising of Old Testament saints at the moment of his death. The characters of his holiness appearing in the holy city. The miracle of the veil being rent from the top to the bottom. Something that was invisible to us. Only to be found by the priest only. Miracle from God, top to bottom, not bottom to top. Opening the way into the holy holies by the blood of Jesus. He invited us Sunday night to spiritually come into the holy holies by me and with you.
top to bottom in the center, not on the side in the center. That lets you know that you become bold before the throne of grace today. Not because you're good enough. Not because you deserve it. But because he loves you. Four miracles. One soldier saw it, and he confessed that he was a just man. And he said, this is his son. And history says that man legit, legitimate, I believe how you pronounce his name, became a believer and followed Jesus Christ in that day. Please tell me. Put my trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is my only hope of eternal life and salvation. He made a way for all of us. If you love him, lift your hands and thank him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Mighty God, mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. Hayori Vasu, Rapasete. Glory, 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 glory. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If you're lost, is because you climbed over the cross. You climbed over the word. You climbed over the prayer. You climbed over the church. You climbed over the blood. You climbed over the If you die, you go to hell. You won't just drop in there. You have to fight your way. Lord, I thank you. I fear you. I thank you tonight. I come to you, Lord, now. And I ask you once again to cleanse me, O God, of every vow an unclean thing. Lord, when man was at his worst, you were at your best. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. His death on the cross to you demonstrates how much God loves you. Won't you tell him thank you? Tell him thank you for loving you that much. Demonstrates the love of God. You'll never know anything until you know the love of God. You'll never know anything until you know the love of God. Calvary demonstrated the love of God.
Hallelujah. If you need healing tonight, He provided healing by His stripes. Lift your hands and say, Lord, I'm coming to you now. I ask you to heal me, Lord, of all sickness and disease. Sickness and disease that I'm not even aware of, God. By your stripes I'm healed. You need the Holy Ghost tonight. It's not based on your good works. It's based on the finished work of Jesus. Lord, thank you tonight for salvation. All you have to do is ask Him for the Spirit. He'll come inside of you and just begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Put your faith and confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and receive ye the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speak with other tongues. Let your heart become the throne of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Bless your name. Thank you, Lord, for being that sin offering. And the blood taken into the temple. And the flesh of the animals taken outside of the gates and burned. Lord, I thank you for the ashes of the sacrifice. Lord, our prayer is backed up by your sacrifice. Lord, spiritually, I sit in sackcloth and ashes. Lord Jesus, I get in you. I get in my Jesus tonight and I'm healed. I get in my Jesus and I'm healed. I get in my Jesus and I'm saved. I'm getting my Jesus and I'm delivered. I get in my Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the finished work. Thank you, Jesus. You thought about it with your heart and mind. The two words, eternal life. Eternal life. You have a hope for eternal life tonight because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. What He's done for you. He deserves all the praise and all the worship we can give Him.